Robert, that's serving in Hebrew or Greek. There's, there, you can share. Y'all can share. Y'all need to learn to communicate with one another. <laughs> Tell us how you got rich. That's not what you want to know from me, man. What you want to know is how I've made it this far and survived uh, my marriage. That is the, that's really the key. I mean, how, do you, how do you get from, from the altar um, of the wedding ceremony to the grave and, and they still be there with you? Because that, be, uh, that can be a challenge. It's proven to be a challenge. Let me be honest with you. I know that we, we, uh, we've talked about, we've taken on this lesson and the task of um, going through the Strengthening Your Marriage uh, course together as a church. And the truth is the church desperately needs it. The world needs it, right? And, and I don't want to say unfortunately, but that's kind of the word that needs to be used. Where the church is concerned, divorce is as rampant in the church in these days as it is in the world. And it's because we don't have sound biblical uh, foundation. It's because that we don't understand God's purpose. And then when we do understand God's purpose, it's important for us to understand our responsibilities as men. And then it's important for, not unimportant, important for you to understand your responsibility as wives and mothers. It's our responsibility to learn to communicate with one another. I'm in full agreement, Pastor, the way that they've layered uh, the book especially this uh, lesson. I am thankful that we're two weeks removed from Dr. Brassfield's lesson. It gives you a little bit of time to forget how brilliantly it was delivered to you before I take this microphone and try to tell you how to <laughs> uh, learn financial agreement and unity in marriage, um, which I, I certainly, um, there are certainly people in here who could do a better job teaching it, but I'm, I am also for certain that I understand it. Because we have, we have had to navigate some difficult situations in our lives. I'm going to be the first to tell you that, um, that I, got, I got married when I was 20. Candace was 19. I was, and I still, some of y'all in this room, my mother-in-law's in here. My parents are in here. And uh, they've walked with me through some stupid times. I've done some stupid things in my life. I, mean, I just have. I was 20. Nobody knows anything at 20. If you're 20 in here, yeah, you don't know much. You'll learn that when you're in your 40s, mid-40s. And then I, what I'm afraid of, Pastor, is that now that I'm in my 40s, I realize that I didn't know anything in my 20s. I'm scared to death that when I get to my 60s, I don't know anything. In my 40s, I'm concerned. I'm slightly concerned. I'll tell you what I have done. This is what I've decided, and this will help you out in your marriage, too. It'll save you from drama. Here's what I've figured out. It's the best thing to do as young, middle-aged people is not to hang out necessarily with a whole bunch of young, middle-aged people with problems. Find old people. Just find old people. I'm telling you, I'm not lying to you. Find old people that are godly people and, and, and hang out with those people because I feel like that they can deposit a wealth of knowledge that can safeguard you from stupidity even in your 30s and your 40s, right? Because they've made those mistakes and, and they can help you uh, navigate your way through those without potholes destroying the wheels of your marriage. Um, today, talking about financial agreement this is so important in a marriage. The scripture says in Matthew, and here's, I'll track, I'll try to track really close to the notes here because I wrote them, and if, you know, actually, actually it's just a bunch of scripture. I mostly just wrote the, uh, the questions 
It's actually pretty easy. But we're going to stay close to it because it's powerful. The scripture concerning your finances, um, there, are so, there are so many biblical scriptures concerning money. And, and I know the first thing, a lot of times the first thing that happens when a preacher starts talking about money is people shut down because they want to dick. Uh, um, differentiate between finances and the church, and, then, and maybe that uh, um, there's a small place for it. But but this, in the scripture, there's a lot of counsel, there's a lot of direction, there's a lot of commandments concerning our finances. And so we're going to really take a look at scripture tonight, Matthew chapter 12. And, and I understand the context of this. Actually, both of these passages of scripture first here on the page where it talks about unity and house divided, they're not, they're not taken out of context. I understand that when Jesus says that a house divided against itself, he's talking about the Pharisees telling them that how can you cast out demons? He casts out demons by the name of Beelzebub. But the truth of the matter is, is he's talking about unity here. He's talking about unity, and if, if, we're gonna, if, our, if our marriages are going to be um, healthy and unified concerning our finances, we can't, there has to be no division. And Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And we said this, I heard Pastor quote this early, early on in this lesson, the passage of Scripture in Amos 3, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And here's where I struggled. Um, last week, I didn't struggle last week, but last week, this is Dr. Brassfield was talking about um, communication languages, uh, your personality type and making sure that you understand who you are so that you and understand who your spouse is so that you can engage with them in communication adequately well the truth of the matter is is that you're you have a um, you have a financial a money uh, um, attitude or uh, what's the word personality you have an attitude of money personality as well the way that you think about money may be completely different than the way that I think about money, right? If I was to hold up a $100 bill in here, I have one in my pocket and I meant to put it in my shirt pocket. It's probably good that I didn't because I would put it back in here and Candace would have washed it in the laundry and celebrated the day that she found a $100 bill in the laundry. She's done that a few times and I try to keep my money in my wallet. But if I hold, if I hold a $100 bill up in here, some people are going to look at it. It's, it's obviously it's a $100 bill, but what does it represent to you, right? If you hold a dollar bill up to my daughter, it represents like seven um, um, Starbucks coffees and a manicure, right? Because that's her money language, right? She sees stuff, and she wants to buy There's very few days throughout the week that I come home, and there's not a um, FedEx or a UPS package on my porch, and it's usually like a Lululemon. I think that's the one that was there today. It was Lululemon, and I didn't have to even look at the name on it because I know who bought that. Gracie did. I also know that Gracie doesn't have a real steady job, so I helped her buy that. I'm certain, and and it's important for me and Gracie to communicate too because she can overextend her father to the point where she's going to get cut off. Now, my wife, my wife though. When I show her a $100 bill, while I'm looking at it from this side, I'm seeing uh, maybe movie night steak dinner, really nice steak dinner and a movie night, right? Well, she's standing on the other side of it looking at it, and she's saying, that is a water bill and a half. 
that is, um, that's the cable, and, and Hulu keeps going up, and now that's almost the entire month for, for Hulu. She's looking at our expenses, and, and to her, that is, it represents something different. To her, that represents security. To me, it represents fun. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. I looked at our two different attitudes towards money early on in our marriage, especially, and we butted heads all the time concerning money because she did the books. She did our checkbook, and she knew that we didn't have none. And I knew we didn't have any anyway, but I also knew that I had some in my pocket because I hadn't spent it yet, right? This is me just being really transparent and foolish, okay? I'm going to tell you right now, we're a long ways from that, but I'm going to share with you the things that I learned and the way that I had to readjust my thinking and my understanding of her had to change in order for us to come to a place of security and trust in one another now, right? So basically, there's two different types of Two different categories or thoughts concerning money. This is, this is the real root of it, and certainly it's broken down into um, even more than the four that I gave you, but you basically have savers and spenders, right? Right? You have those that, um, man, they're, they're, they're frugal. They, when, they, when they get a dime, it's going in the bank. You don't touch it until somebody pries it from my fingers, right? And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's security and there's safety in that. And then there are spenders. There's those that it doesn't even have time to pick up lint in your pocket before it's spent somewhere else, right? It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. I've, I, I'll cash my paycheck and go to Tractor Supply and uh, buy a new piece of farm equipment or buy salt lick or something. I need something. I need something and I have money, so I must be able to do it, right? Amen. Come on, brother. You know, you know. And so it's important. Here's the question. Here's the question that I pose here. What's my money language? But there's also, the, here's the sub question is, what is my spouse's money language? All right? These four right here, and I, man, I looked, I looked, and I looked, and looked. And there are so many different uh, categories that they break these up into, but I thought this was a pretty good one. And so uh, this is by a uh, a finance professor from the University of Minnesota. His, his name is Doyle. Um, Kenneth Doyle is the guy's name. And he says there's basically four different categories or, or money languages that you can look at. And, and there are, and, and certainly there's even branches off of each one of these that kind of determine to dictate the way that we think. And, and I'll say up front that there's not necessarily, there, listen, there's not a right or a wrong money language. It's just the way that you view finances, right? A lot of times it's by default, right? You are what you are because you were where you were when. You thought about that? My uh, brother Young, which I'll probably name drop him in a couple more weeks when I talk about family religion. He was a pastor at Rosebud, pastored until he was in 90. Um, but listen, when, 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 when they were kids, things were hard. Yeah, can you imagine having to live through the Great Depression? Can you imagine being semi-financially secure going into that thing and the wheels falling off all over the country and then having to change everything about the way that you live, the way that you handled your finances? It would change who you were. It would ch- I'll assure you that it changed the money language of most everybody in the country into a saver. And because of that, and that, that he, it, he was what he was because he was where he was when, right? He died at 90, and oddly enough, he was a wealthy man. But you had no idea 
because he was not a spender. He was a saver. In, in this paraeus, he was an analytic. And, and that language, that money language, it translated into security, right? Analytics are people who view money as a source of security, protect them from life's difficulties. It was certainly a season of life that, that, that the country went through that changed the way that people regarded and reviewed and used money. And, and today is no different. A lot of times we are the way we are concerning money because of the way that we grew up. So you have a driver. The driver is someone who equates money with success. Having money protects against the fear of incompetence, and the more money that you have, the more successful and competent that you feel. They communicate love. Now listen to this, and here's the truth of the matter. And this is why it's important for you to understand and have agreement in your finances because your finances are, um, they are a tool for producing. First and foremost, they need to be a tool for producing glory to God in the way that we live our lives, but also, also they produce love and affection within the covenant of marriage, the way that we handle our finances, the way that we treat one another, the way that we regard one another's thought about money. And here's something that you have to be rooted in, and we're talking about financial agreement and unity. Two become one. And I know that the culture has changed, and, and, and probably the majority of people in here are, um, uh, are not stay-at-home moms. You're probably, most of us are dual-income uh, families. But there doesn't need to be, there doesn't need to be two. It may be dual-income, but it's one family. It's agreement. It's one husband. It's one wife. It's not my money and her money. It's our money. And what can we do with it that strengthens our family, that produces security for right now and for the days ahead? And how can we use our money and our finances to glorify God through our marriage and through our giving, right? And that's, that's what we want to figure out tonight. And then you have am, uh, amable relationships, and people are the focus of the financial desires of an amiable love and affection. Uh, I, I'm going to confess something since Candace isn't in here. I'm going to no, actually, I've told it to her. I don't think that she believed me when I said it, but I did. Um, and this wasn't anywhere close to a, an argument or a disagreement that we had. It was just a statement I made and a statement that she made back, and then we moved on. Gracie's about to go to college, right? I'm, I am, I am a, um, I'm a combination of two. I'm a combination of a driver and an amiable. I'll just tell you that right now. If I have money and I can, I will spend it on you, right? And my daughter's about to go to college, and I know it's going to be expensive, and a lot of her tuition is paid for with scholarships and things like that. She's going to live on campus, and I, like I said earlier, I don't know if maybe Daryl can hire her at the feed mill since she's going to be in Conway. If she's, she could sack feed, I promise you. I did it in college. She can handle it. <clears throat> And, and I'm telling Candace, and we're, we're talking about expenses, and, and we've got a lot going on in our personal lives right now, and we're trying to navigate and be intelligent on the way that we spend our finances. And I told Candace, I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that Grace is going to school, and as long as she's doing good, I don't want her to have to struggle to work and have to, um, um, have to try to balance making enough money to survive and, and staying up to um, par on her classes. And I said, I'm just telling you right now, she's working hard at school and she's getting good grades. I said, Ken, I'm going to throw money at her. 
I'm just, she needs money. She's come down. So throw it at her. I will. I, you know why? Because I love her. <laughs> I love her. I don't want her to struggle where her finances are concerned. That's a part of something that God has put in me. And it's not just with my daughter. Listen, I, I'm, I'm a benevolent person. I am. If, uh, occasionally, you may get your dinner bought at a restaurant that you, that you see me in. And I won't even say anything to you. I will just do it. Unless you're eating at um, uh, Zeke and Lizzie's. Sorry about that, Chris, bro. I'm sorry, man. Dude, you don't even want to know what my bill was that night, man. I was going to pay for yours, man, until they brought my bill. And then I actually had to borrow money from Caleb. You know what I'm saying? It's fantastic food, though. That's a plug. It's fantastic food. <laughs> but amiable people, they show love and they show affection that way, right? And then you have expressive people, and that equates to acceptance. That's the power suit, right? That's the power suit and the tie. That is, that is your financial status and your, uh, um, uh, y- your money has put you in positions of power. It's put you before uh, people that have money, right? It takes money to make money. That's the, that's the, uh, the expressive people, Right, and so you you have, and it's like I said, it, there's not a right or a wrong necessarily uh, language. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is it's safer if you're different than your spouse, right? For me and Candace, she she is an analytic. She, um, and this is actually part of what changed me. I just testify not. I don't care. Uh, I don't care. Candace was doing our. Um, uh, our banking, she was taking care of all, bouncing the checkbooks. She knew and when we first got married and we had kids, she got a job and things just overwhelmed her. And I would get frustrated because she would say, we don't never have any money. And I would say, well, you don't have a clue because you hadn't bounced the checkbook two weeks. And, this, and it was, we were buttonhead. And here's the problem with that. The reason we were buttonheads is because we didn't allow Jesus to be the head of our home where our finances were concerned. And we certainly love the Lord. He was the Lord of my life. He was Lord of Candace's life, but he wasn't Lord of our finances. We hadn't come together and allowed. I'll assure you this. When Jesus is the head of your finances, you will not butt heads with him. You will not butt heads with him, but you will butt heads with your wife continually until he becomes that thing. And then what happened was she allowed me to do. She said, you know, enough's enough. You do the checkbook. Then she had to teach me how to bounce a checkbook, which I did. I did really good. And I did that for years. And what I figured out is when I had to bounce the checkbook, I realized that I didn't have that money in my pocket that I thought that I had, right? And, and I, had to, I, had to, um, I had to become accountable to our family as the provider. I had to start using wisdom and, and sound judgment can, that, that sometimes went against the things that I desired, but I had to have discipline in that area of my life. And then, then we're in a completely different season now, and I, do n- I will never, Vicki, I will never touch our checkbook again because we own the, uh, the business, and, and that's too much, Right? It's way too much. But the Lord tempered me and corrected me, and I walked in repentance towards the way that my wife handled our finances and realized that I needed her. I needed her, and until I realized that and, and, and her giftings and my, and my giftings, so, and I operate as like a, um, Candace is a warning switch, like she's a warning alarm. That's what she is to me. But me to her, I'm um, a pop-off valve. Right? 
right? Because, because Candace is generous too. She is, right? But she's analytics. She's all, and, and analytics lend themselves to worry, right? Because, and it's not, it's not that necessarily that she's worried about having money. What she's worried about is her family. She's worried about that security. She's worried about my needs. She's worried about the kids' needs. She's worried, but now, now we have a completely different set of needs in, in employees at Custom Glass. And so everything that she does is very analytical. And sometimes, even when we can not only afford to, but need to make a decision concerning money, Candace is, she's really uptight and she's nervous. And I can be that release valve, right, that comes in and says, listen, You've looked at it, you've worried about it, and, and we're going to trust God, and, and I believe that this is what we need to do, and I'm in complete agreement with you. And that allows her, even if it's a step of faith that has to be taken, it allows her and empowers her to do it with confidence because here's the truth of the matter. If we are in agreement and it's a mistake, then we walk through that mistake together. The second that you're not together concerning your finances and your significant other makes a poor financial decision, guess who gets to point the finger and say, I told you so, and vice versa. And it's destructive to a marriage. But if you're together, you can celebrate the successes and you can celebrate the failures or you can walk through the failures and come out on the other side full of God's grace. That's what we pray for a lot. It's God's grace concerning our finances. And so what we had to do, here's what we had to do. We had to establish a biblical philosophy concerning our personal, my personal, her personal, or family finances. I had to change the way that I thought. She had to change the way that she thought. And we had to answer this question. Is Christ the head of our finances? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. There has to be, and, and certainly there are changes that take place in our actions and in our thoughts when we give our lives to the Lord when we surrender to the Lord. But so often it's our finances that are the last thing that we surrender to him. It's the last thing that we turn over to him. And he's, in, he's the head of a home. And until he is, until Christ is the head of your marriage, you will all, and it won't just be in your finances, it'll be, it'll be in all different places. Until, until Christ is the head of your family, you're going to struggle. Different places, different times, but you're going to struggle. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If ye, if ye then be raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections on things above, on things above, and not on the earth. When you surrender your finances to Christ, the truth of the matter is, is there's something that's going to happen in the way that you think, the way that you respond to different situations. It'll transform the way um, that you and your spouse handle your financial situation. Christ has to be the head. And then I had to ask this question, what of mine belongs to God? And I said finances, are temp- <laughs> they tend to be the last thing that get handed over to the Lord. The truth of the matter is, is that everything that we have belongs to him. I say this all the time, man, when you think about it, the, the next heartbeat that I have, 
If, if, if I survive until dismissal of this service tonight, it's because he allowed it. As you won't have any, any trouble turning loose of your money. You won't have any trouble uh, s- surrendering anything that will bring glory to God when you realize that everything that you have is because of him. The heartbeat, the breath, the life, every blessing, every, uh, every relationship, the spouse that you're married to, they're a gift from the Lord, and they come from the Lord. God himself said that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. She's from the Lord. He's found favor with the Lord. Psalms 24. I want to flip over here because this is, this is good. On, we're going to read some more, more of this than just what is on the page here. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in it. Now here is the thing that I want to make sure that, that I understand fully, that I want, that, that just people need to understand fully. Saved people need to understand fully. Is the earth is his and everything therein. That's you and that's I. That's our finances. For he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And here's uh, something that I want to make sure that I always have access to, right? It's his presence. And he says here, who can ascend? Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? And verse 4 answers the question, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. You know what can happen with our finances if we're not careful? You can be deceitful to gain, right? People, listen, there's, there's nothing that, that'll cause you to do something unruly or unethical or unholy than trying to acquire finances for vain purpose. But if the, if the whole earth is his and, and he's the head of my life and more than anything that I could ever desire is to have access into his presence, then I want to make sure that I have clean hands and I want to make sure that I have a pure heart because the scripture tells me that's how I come into his presence. We come into his presence today by virtue of the blood of Jesus and if Jesus is head of my life, then that's my access. But I certainly don't want to show up in the presence of the Lord and have not been faithful with the things that he's blessed me with financially. So you ask, you ask the question, what of mine belongs to the Lord? Everything does. I'll surrender everything to him. I'll surrender my, my, um, my successes, my failures. I surrender my shortcomings. I surrender my finances, everything that I have. I watched the video today, Pastor, again, when um, I surrendered my children to him. When um, Brother Andre, a few years ago, can't send me a video of him anointing Caleb with oil. And Andre turned around to me and he said, you lend him to the Lord and you can't have him back. And I'm okay with that. Because God gave him to me for the purpose of lending him back. Everything that I have belongs to the Lord. And I ask the question, on or in what do I place the greatest value? And certainly money is a necessity. We have to have it, right? There's not a single person in here who, who if you didn't receive some sort of monetary 
um, compensation from now until, I don't even know, I, I couldn't last very long, to be honest with you, because I got a lot of expenses going out, I, you know? There, everybody in this room has to deal with that. Finances are going to be an everyday part of our life, but we have to understand that it can't be the thing that I place the most value in. It can't be the money, right? It's a necessity, but it can't become an idol in our lives. It can't take a seat on a throne that belongs to God. You have to ask yourself, what do I place the most value in? And then, and then construct your life and communicate with your partner in a way that you're on the same page. I've seen, I have seen people sacrifice everything on the altar of money. And at the end of the day, all they had was money and nothing else. They lost their families. They lost their children. They lost relationships. They threw basically everything away for the pursuit of money and only to realize that it comes and it goes. But God's faithfulness is eternal. His faithfulness is established. His lordship has to be established in our lives. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, For what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It doesn't matter. You, you, I've, everybody's heard this. You've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse, right? <laughs> That's kind of funny. It's true. You can't take your stuff. And I'm all for leaving an inheritance for my children and my children's children. I certainly want to plan for the future, but I can't let that thing, um, uh, the pursuit of money, consume me to the place where I forsake everything else. Because what can you give in exchange for your soul? Proverbs chapter 16 concerning what do I place the greatest value in. It says, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than to be, rather than to be chosen, is rather to be chosen than silver. He's, he's saying, this writer says, and this certainly come from a man that had a lot of money, but he said wisdom is worth more than gold and understanding is to be chosen better than silver. So do I place, um, do I place value, uh, more value on monetary things over getting godly wisdom and understanding? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you can do a lot more with godly wisdom and understanding than you can do with a boatload of money. I'm going to tell you that right now, and I'll testify that at the end of this lesson tonight because that's where everything changed for me. Is when I started trusting the Lord and when I started allowing Him, when I started allowing the Lord to, to spend my money, there's one thing that I figured out. If he, can, if he can get it from you, He can get it to you. <laughs> I promise you. If He can get it out of your hands, He'll put it in your hands. In Proverbs 22 and 1, I certainly don't want to be, uh, y'all, y'all, is it, is, it the, is it a Christmas carol? Is that um, Ebenezer Scrooge? Is that the one? Is that the one? And man, he didn't care about nothing but his money, right? Right? Proverbs chapter 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. And when he woke up from that dream, everybody was blown away because his name, his name, 
and his actions concerning his finances have produced a, a, an ugly mar on who he was, right? I don't want to have lived a life where when people look at me or they talk about me after I'm long gone that all I was in pursuit of was money. I want them to talk about me that my life was a legacy and that everything God did for me, I gave it back to him for his glory and for his good. Not just money, but my talents, my, my children, my, my business, my everything that I have, I want it to bring glory to him. I want, my, I, want, I want Christ to be of the greatest value of anything that I have. And here's something else. It's important, I think, that we realize. And these are questions that I pose. Is he the head of my finances? What of, what of mine have I decided to give to the Lord and what have I kept for myself? And in what do I place greatest value? And number four, and this, is a, this was a big one. This was a tough one to kind of swallow. Does does the scripture reveal sinfulness in my finances? Covetousness is something that the scripture um, speaks on pretty heavily and pretty consistently. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses, if you didn't know, Jesus said that. He, he, had, uh, he had a pretty good beat on how to handle our finances. He still does. Now, I don't want to live a life that I will step on somebody trying to climb a ladder of success that's detrimental to them. You live in a world that is very meocentric, this centric, this culture. This culture is all about I'm number one. I'm going to look out for me. I'm going to look out for mine. And, and um, there's a safeguard that's put in place for that. And it's letting the Lord be Lord of your finances. And living in contentment. Contentment is it's a safe place. And if you find your contentment in the Lord, you'll never be disappointed, right? If you find contentment in your money, you can be disappointed pretty quick. But if you place your trust and your faith and your contentment in the Lord, there's never disappointment with it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. If you have a promise that the Father will never leave you and forsake you, then you can let everything else come and go, and you're going to be just fine. I assure you, you will not have to present a tax return. <laughs> come on, when you get up there, he's not going to ask you for your tax returns. He's going to say, were you faithful with the things that I gave you? And did you find contentment with relationship with me? Those are the questions that are going to be asked. Exodus chapter 20. <laughs> Pastor, I did this on purpose since you. <laughs> Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Thou shalt not, I used the inspired version, yeah. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, manservants, maidservants, his ox, his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. 
And it's interesting to me, I'm going to be honest with you, I can understand liking your neighbor's house, thinking your neighbor's wife is pretty, manservants and maidservants, because if you can acquire those from your neighbor, then you don't have to do the job that they would be doing, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, if you are trying to get his ox and his donkey, you're just wanting to work. That's all there is to it. So you got to have a manservant and a maidservant just to work the donkey, right? Which brings me to another point. This is something that I think is important for us to understand, that hard work is a gift from God. I was talking to Candace about this the other night. I sit down, uh, I sit down with Candace and talk this entire lesson out with her to make sure that I was okay, and she's good with it. Um, because I question whether or not I should be the one to teach this because I was so, I was foolish in my younger years. She assured me that I had matured and we're in a good place. And I was like, praise the Lord. Okay, that's fantastic. I believe in hard work. It's something that was instilled, me, instilled in me from a young age. And while I hated it growing up, I, I'm so appreciative of it now. For every rick of wood that I ever hauled, for every bale of hay that I ever threw, or steel posts that I ever drove into the ground, or barbed wire that I ever stretched, I'm thankful for it today because it's a gift from God. And I think that there is a season of time, young men, my age, probably a little bit older than me. I'm hoping for like another 10 or 15 years older than me that God graces us with strength and with wisdom in order to make money for a very specific person is to bring him glory, right? I believe that I'm healthy today for the purpose of hard work. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11 says, wealth gotten by vanity will be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Hard work is good. Work hard, man, work hard. Work hard. And then the last thing, and this is where I really want to um, testify of the Lord's goodness in a transitional moment in Candace's and mine's financial, financial situation. And it's the one thing that I ask her about because I know that she's analytical and I'm a, I'm a driver and amiable and I'll spend and she'll save. And, and there have been seasons where we've wrestled through different things and we've differed. Uh, had differing opinions, but there's one place, and I asked her this, and she assured me that she was the same way. There's one place that we've never, ever butted heads concerning our finances, and that's our giving to the kingdom. Whether tithing or whether missions or, or benevolence of any sort, there's never been a question. When we felt like the Lord was trying to get us to sow into a ministry, we're going to sow. We're going to sow because... I love this, um, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withhold more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Come on, somebody. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And when I seen this scripture, I'll be honest, I heard a, a radio preacher by the name of Dan Betzer. It's the first time I'd ever heard this passage of scripture. Maybe I had read over it, but I heard him preach about it, and it was powerful. The, the truth is that God works in finances in a way that we can't understand, that we can't wrap our mind around. And he said, there is that scattereth, that sows, that, that gives, that, that is, a, that is um, uh, faithful to missions, that is a tither. He, 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 if there's a place where a need that he can meet, he's going to do that. And it's odd, it's odd the way that the Lord returns, even in our finances, with our giving and with our sowing. There is that scattereth, yet at least to increase. And then the opposite of that, and this is the thing that I couldn't figure out, the Lord had to change uh, my mind 
through his grace in our financial situation, he says there is those that withhold more than, than is meat, more than they need, but it leads to poverty. Well, that doesn't make sense in the world. And the truth of the matter is, is a believer's financial situation, their giving, the way that they respond in every situation with their money, it should not make sense to the world because it should be so generous that it sheds light on a God who's been good to us. Matthew 5.42, and this is Jesus's, amen, this is, this is the message right here. This, this is the one he gave. It says, give to him that asketh thee, and from him who would borrow of thee, turn not away. Husbands and wives, let me challenge you to be benevolent. To be benevolent. Tithing and missions, offerings, giving should be at the heart of every believer. Whether you're single, whether you're single, or whether you're married. And here's what the Lord did with us. At, the, at a really, really low season in our a rough spot, man, a rough spot. We're trying to recoup from some terrible decisions. And I did not know how to do it. I, I, I'll be honest with you. And, and it didn't matter how many times we crunched the numbers. The numbers were the same. So I invited a guy over to the house. Uh, to kind of give me some godly advice. And there's safety in a multitude of counsel, too, by the way. Even where your finances are concerned, you need to have somebody in your life that can give good, godly wisdom. You need to search that person out, right? They need to be proven, and it needs to be a, a safe place. But godly counsel concerning your finances is something that you need in your lives. I, I sought counsel before we purchased the business. I sought counsel before I left custom glass to go in the window tending. I, don't, I didn't just, and we prayed about it. Candace and I talked about it, and we prayed about it. We sought counsel. And this time was no different. I had invited this guy over, and uh, he was good with money. He sat down, and godly guy, and he looked at all of our expenses, and he, and he looked at our income, and he said, he, he said, it's, it don't, it's not, it won't work. It won't work. He said, you no matter how you crunch the numbers, it won't work. And that's pretty alarming. But the most alarming part was when he said, are you paying your tithes? And I said, how? Pay them with what? <laughs> but I owe you an offering. I mean, what you want me to do? And he said, I don't know. He, he assured me this. This is odd. <laughs> he assured me this. And this is where faith has to step into finances, right? He said, I'm he said, I can't explain to you why. It's a biblical principle. He said, but you need to start paying your tithes and trust the Lord. And we did. And we did. And I can't even tell you how it happened. I don't remember Vicky giving me a huge raise. I don't remember that. Maybe you did. I don't, I don't remember. I just probably did. Here's what I do remember. I remember seeing the, the literal shift in our finances when we, came, when we became faithful with our tithe. And, and I understand sometimes it's tough and sometimes it puts you in a difficult place. And, and we're all in different seasons of life in here. There are people in here that lived on a fixed income. And I know that, you would, that, that if you had it, you're like me, you would, you would, you would give it away. But you have, to, you have to be smart and you have to be intelligent. And, and your tithe may seem insignificant when you bring it up here, but I also remember when Jesus leaned against the wall and watched the lady put 
put pennies in and celebrate her faith. So, so no matter what season of life you're in, whether it's a season of abundance, whether it's very tight and you have to use godly wisdom, every, every soda pop that you pur- purchase at the store, I want to encourage you to be faithful with the tithe because God can take that little bit and he can multiply that exponentially. And even if, even if, even if I don't see it monetarily return to me, I know that I'm not sowing into something that is temporal. Every Listen, I, I, there's... I want to be a cheerful giver, right? Sunday morning, offering time, I'll rejoice in that moment as much as I will as if it, the Holy Ghost uh, slides in in a worship song and, and we about to lose it. I will because I've seen his faithfulness in my life and in my family's life because we changed the way that we thought concerning our giving and we became faithful with it. And I'm not only faithful with tithes, I'm faithful with, with my missions giving. Listen, the, the, the kingdom is expand, it's going to expand with me or without me. But on the day of judgment, I want to stand before him, and I want that area of my life to have been accountable to the calling that I see in the Word of God. I'll never compromise my tithing and my, and my giving because God gets glory out of the way that I function in my finances. If my finances display his faithfulness, his provision, and obedience to him, it'll produce a glory that's worth far more than any monetary value you can place on it. We have to use wisdom. I put a budget on here. (laughs) It's important that we live within our means. And there are ways, listen, there are ways. I I never... uh, I think because I appreciate hard work, I'm in a season of life where I believe I can make money. If I need to make more money, I can figure out a way to make more money. But if I can change my budget, if I'm living above my means, then, then there are things that you can do. And this is something that you need to sit down and do with your spouse. Listen, don't go home and sit down in your closet and try to figure out your finances alone through a budget. Sit down with your significant other. Understand the, their money language and navigate through the places where you can spend, where you need to, um, where you need to cut expenses. If, if there needs to be an increase in your financial situation somehow, then talk that thing out. It can be done. Pray for godly wisdom. He'll make a way. I promise you he'll make a way in your finances. I promise you he will. He's faithful. Amen? We have a responsibility as husbands and wives within the context of our marriage to be in agreement and unified in our finances. And if we are, it brings glory to God. Everything that the world is doing I'm sure Pastor will probably talk about it next week. Listen, if your finances aren't, aren't um, if you're not in contention in your finances, I know that romance starts at the kitchen. I've heard that before, Rev, but it, it helps if the checkbook is uh, healthy too, if you're on the same page, right? Everything that the world is trying to attack your marriage with, there's a twisted form of it in the world is trying to come in. It's the same with your finances. If he, can, if he can redefine what marriage is, if the world can redefine what marriage is, if they can redefine um, where sexual gratification is supposed to be fulfilled, if it's free for all, the world is slipping into every area of your, ma- your marriage and he'll do it in your finances too. 
But if you can hold on to a biblical foundation and principles, be obedient to the word of God concerning your finances within the covenant of marriage, then God safeguards that thing. There's safety in it. Amen? And it strengthens the marriage. And if your marriage is strong, the church is stronger. Amen? And that's what we want. It's the reason we're having this lesson. Our marriages are worth fighting for. Not fighting over or within, but fighting for. And if there has to be adjustments in order for there to be peace and unity in your finances, then make the move. Do what you've got to do. Sit down and talk it out. Make the move. Because it will strengthen the marriage. And it will strengthen the church. And the church is strong. The kingdom's growing. I want to be a part of that. Amen. Father in heaven, we love you. We're so thankful tonight for your provision. God, a prayer that I pray every day of my life is that I thank you that you supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And God, I trust you with every area of my life. I thank you for growth. I thank you for maturity and wisdom. I thank you, Father, for people who have poured into my life where my finances are concerned. I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of such a great family with strong marriages. And God, I know that some of this may be new and fresh, and some of this is just, it's, it's, an, it's an overview and a reminder of the success within marriages because of your faithfulness. There, there are, are men and women, husbands and wives, that have been married for years and years and years and seen the grace of God displayed on their life, and they're still here. Because until the day we die, Father, we're learning about one another, and we're growing, and we're maturing. Father, let us mature in every area of our lives of our marriages, including our finances. Father, give us wisdom and give us grace. And Father, as you direct us and command us, we'll be obedient to that, Father, in a way that gives you glory and that gives you honor. That's our purpose, to give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.